Hello, I'm Jim Salverson and welcome to VoiceWorks Sound Business, a podcast all about audio and the brilliant people who make it. Today, we are talking podcasting and how it can be used as part of a B2B marketing strategy. To do that, I'm going to be talking to Richard Gillis, journalist and one half of Unofficial Partner, a sports industry blog, newsletter and front and centre, a podcast listened to by, as Richard describes it in today's show, the people who run sport. A heavy hitting podcast listened to by some heavy hitters. We're going to talk about how Richard and his business partner, Sean, have built up Unofficial Partner around the podcast how they've managed to gather intel on exactly who is listening and leverage that intel, and the challenge that I guess all B2B podcasts face of treading that fine line between commercial interest and interesting content. I must say, it's something they navigate exceptionally. There's some brilliant advice and some great tips in here if you are looking at podcasting as part of your B2B marketing strategy. And as always, you can see here and find more information on Unofficial Partner and what they do in the podcast description. All the links you need are there, including a link to the VoiceWorks website where if you want a hand with your audio strategy. But let's get stuck into this podcasting as a B2B marketing tool with Richard Gillis from Unofficial Partner. Welcome to Sound Business. How are you and whereabouts are you? Uh, I'm very well. I'm in Brighton. So those two things go together, I think. (laughs) Very nice on the South Coast. You're here talking about the Unofficial Partner podcast today, which I think it's fair to say has developed a reputation within sport for featuring some of the brightest minds and the most significant voices in the industry now. But was that the vision when you started out? Was that always what you wanted to achieve from the get go? It's sort of, yes. I mean, yes is the answer. It was, I knew that there was a a gap. I'm a journalist by trade and I used to run or edit the uh, sports business, which is a, you know, was a magazine. It was a trade magazine. And so I knew that I knew the sort of marketplace quite well. And then I jumped ship into, on the other side, I worked for, on the agency side with Havas and I was watching it from the other side then. You you then become Mm -hmm. a sort of client in the, in the whole thing. And I could see, yeah, I mean, podcasts were, were quite, still quite nascent. They weren't, you know, it wasn't early days, but it was before they were very mainstream in this particular sector. So we got a sort of a bit of a jump on what has become quite a competitive space. But to answer your question, yeah, so we thought that actually there is a gap for something. Podcasts do a particular job really well. And when you're looking at, as we are, we're looking at a sort of vertical business sector and it's sport so it's high profile and you get lots of you know you get famous people in on as well as people you've never heard of but run the thing there's an interesting mix there but we always knew that there was interesting content it was just working out actually why we were doing it and what we were doing took a bit of bit of time you mentioned it's before they became mainstream i mean you might argue that podcasting still isn't quite mainstream but Mm -hmm. this is going back a fair way that covers off the content side of it for what you wanted to achieve what were the driving factors? What was the opportunity you saw that could be fulfilled by starting the Unofficial Partner podcast? Initially, and it comes back to your first question, we thought we'd just come out of, I say we, it's me and my partner, Sean Singleton. So he had run his own digital agency and we thought, well, no one needs two blokes on the consulting pile to come and knock on your door and try and sell your stuff. So we thought, well, if we have an editorial front to a consulting back end, if you see what I mean, mm. then that would do a lot of the work for us and we can 
get a reputation, get a tone of voice, do all the things that podcasts and editorial does really well. And then we will work out what to sell you at the back end. And we'll, you know, the, the initial idea was as crude as we will get someone from the FA or FIFA or the NFL on, and we will then get to know them and try and sell them something. And really that was about, that was about it. So it was a real Trojan horse thing. And then about, you know, after about six months, it became clear that the horse was actually more interesting than anything we were selling behind the scenes. (laughs) And so we then sort of found that actually we could commercialize the podcast in in and sort of of itself. And from there, we then started to say, well, once you've got a podcast, you've got a whole load of other marketing assets. You can wrap an event around it. You can create a sort of thought leadership platform. It can be a newsletter. It can be anything you like. And it's a really nice way of creating some IP very quickly. And one of the things that we sort of looked at was, although it's about the sports business, which in itself is a niche and it's it bumps into some very big industry sectors, marketing, media, finance, to name just three, there are a whole load of smaller verticals within sports. So you then get into media or you get into tech or you get into mm. digital transformation or you get into how private equity works and I enjoyed going down those sort of rabbit holes editorially, but it also meant that you're opening up potential sponsorship markets as well. I want to come back to the idea of wrapping things around the podcast in a minute, but Mm. given those factors you've just mentioned, how have you measured success or how has that changed over the course of it? Because as you say, you're tackling quite a niche subject, so it's probably not going to reach those big listener markets. But you've also got different elements there. You've got the deals that you yourselves can do on a consultancy basis you've got the commercialization of your content what does success look like to you i mean it's pretty simple to answer that question it's money and in relation to that it's the sort of size of network and the size of the audience these are all things that we look at very closely and they've Mm. been you know they've grown steadily and one of the things i think that took us by surprise, but also takes a lot of people by surprise when it comes to podcasts is actually, it does take a while to build an audience. And it's it's the characteristics of it, as you know well, are different from other forms of editorial. And, you know, as a journalist, you can write something and it will have a spike of interest. It will easily be shared around social media. It will be cut up and you can do all various things with it. With a podcast, I think it's much more of an engagement medium, which makes mm. it a really good medium for marketing services but it also means that you know they're they're quite sort of discrete units as of you know of themselves so it means that it's quite difficult i find to go in and find a headline which you know you think oh, okay I'll, or, or i'll get a famous guest on and what we found is that famous people they can be interesting but quite often they've done so many interviews that you know they're professional answerers of questions so it means that you know it's quite hard to get them to say anything that someone hasn't you know they haven't told someone five minutes before or in an interview previously and the other bit is that our audience isn't particularly interested in fame or famous people unless they're saying something particularly interesting so that was a sort of early lesson i thought well we'll get you know beckham on but and we didn't get beckham on unfortunately but (laughs) That would have been, a, you know, might have got a spike, but those people wouldn't have stayed mm. with us. So you're not building a community in the same way. Whereas an audience, what I really like about what we're doing is that the thing has gone from nothing to something over a period of time. And people have stayed with us and, you know, are growing and contribute to the community. 
and it's a much used word and all that but you do sense I do you know I get a very different sort of feedback and feeling from doing this than I ever did writing because it's just a more I think it's a more personal medium you're in someone's ear on a regular basis and so you the feedback is quite there's a warmth there to the feedback that there never was when I was writing. It's a very common thing that a lot of guests have talked about on this podcast, particularly when talking about their podcasts, is that the importance of having a niche and nurturing that niche and knowing exactly what it is you do that other people don't do. And that's certainly contributed to the success of what you are doing now. In terms of the podcast being a commercial success, how do you balance the commercial and the content? Because something I'm sure can be very commercially interesting to you, but might not be brilliant from a content point of view. Now, I've worked in commercial radio for 25 years, so I know that there can be a conflict and a challenge there. How do you overcome that? Well, I think it's the, that's the publishing challenge. You know, you get that everywhere and, you, you know, it's, it's better to, to face that head on. And you and I, you know, we know there are, you can try and hide the editorial, you know, the advertising or the, the, the where the, you know, people can see the joins, you know, and the thing about our audience is a lot of them do sell sponsorship. So if you are trying to sort of hide a sponsorship deal within the editorial content, then good luck with that, because this is what these people do on a day to day basis. You know, sports market is made up of people who buy and sell sponsorship or they buy and sell media. And so it's better to say, well, actually, let's have a let's have a grown up, honest conversation about this. And the people who are advertising are also our listeners. So it's it's a question of trying to not get owned by the advertiser. So you don't become, you don't lose your voice. You don't become someone who just is just there just to create a, an ad for someone. And the whole point of what we're doing is that it was it's almost a sort of reaction against that. And so obviously in the brand, there is a sort of element of unofficial partner. There is a sort of a suggestion that you're playing against the grain in that way, which probably makes it harder to sell advertising, if I'm honest, because people say, well, you know, you might say something or you might have a conversation about something that we're not comfortable with. But overall, what we're saying is that, okay, let's take, for example, Nielsen. So Nielsen, a big corporate entity who have a sports division, which is very well sort of, you know, they're measurement people. So they measure the value of sport. And they wanted to do something in esports, so they wanted to sort of flag up that they're also in esports, which is obviously a very valuable and fast-growing market for them. And so we did it. We created a series, you know, esport economics, which is mm. all about the business of e- of esports, and that works. And people know it's from Nielsen, but they also bring great guests, and the, you know, in the same way as Porter's Consulting, which is a which is a really successful series for us. They bring some really heavy hitters, you know, they bring because their clients are heavy hitters. So it works quite nicely from that point of view. And then it means that you've, they've created some IP for themselves. There's a marketing asset there that they can then promote on their own channels. And it means that we get access to great guests and the conversations. I don't filter the conversations because they're advertising and they don't want me to either because they want to have proper conversations. Now, the caveat you'd say is that this isn't hard news that we're talking about, but it, it is quite sort of, I don't pull any punches in terms of the questions we ask, but we mm. go into a lot of detail because that's where the audience wants to go. But I'm not breaking news. I'm not looking to embarrass anyone. So there is a, you know, it would be difficult to, to do this model if it was purely a news driven sort of operation. If I was breaking stories and, and the rest of it, that's, I think would be difficult, but, where we are is it is more about well why has this happened 
How does this work? Sure. And so do you have those conversations with, for want of a better word, guests, um, clients, whatever you want to call them? Do you have those conversations around the integrity of your product before you advance on any kind of project that you're working with them on? Yeah. I mean, we always say we don't, it's in no one's interest for us to make boring, crappy podcasts. When you look at the market we're in, and I think it's probably true of lots of business verticals, is that when it comes to market, you know, the, the, the job of marketing a company in this world is difficult because you've got a number of levers. And traditionally, B2B marketing has been, you know, a conference or, uh, you know, a magazine or a website or, you know, an advertising led product or an award, your sponsor, an award show or whatever. And all of those have their merits and pros and cons. And I think I've always found that, you know, conferences, there are some really great ones, but there's also a lot of crap ones mm. and a lot of boring ones. And and people, you know, when you get a sort of panel, the, the you know, the classic conference panel, I've moderated lots of them. So have you. And, you know, people are very familiar with, well, this isn't much fun. You know, people are on their best behavior. They're performing in front of an audience. The badge that they wear weighs down quite heavily. They they fall into sort of pre-prepared PR lines, which are tedious. So why do that? And always when I used to go to sports business conferences, the conversation in the bar was completely different than, you know, than the one on the on the stage. And, mm. and it was the, the one in the bar or in the coffee coffee room afterwards that I wanted to capture. It was funny. It was cynical. It was there was a sort of a point of view there. There was a knowingness about it, which it was completely almost counter to the bullshit that they were talking on the stage. So what I was trying to do with the podcast and podcasts are quite a good medium for this is actually it's quite difficult to stay on a PR message for 45 minutes. You know, you've got to be mm. a flipping well-trained comms expert to be able to do that. Or if you do, you come across as a bit of a tedious, you know, dick. <laughs> so one of the issues we've got then, if you're looking at a client, you say, well, look, and no one wants to be that person, by the way. It's just that's how things tend to work. So when they come on the podcast, they do tend to relax. We've always got an editing button and we haven't used it very often. But, you know, if people overstep, we, I think we used it once for a cut, you know, someone who sort of afterwards said, oh, you have to take that out because I think it's in the, you know, Official Secrets Act. It was like a government contract <laughs> or something. But other than that, we've not sort of uh, edited for, for that in, in, in any way. We only edit for the quality and brevity, really. I guess that kind of unofficial off the record chat circles back to one of the things you talked about earlier. And it was the things that wrap around the podcast from the outside looking in. I think one of the most powerful tools that unofficial partner have in their toolbox is the community that's been built around it. Be that the newsletter or the website or the blogs or the messaging groups or the casual social drinks that you'll have with the listeners of the podcast. When was it you realized in your journey that that was going to be really important it was going to be something that was going to be key to develop in order to find the success that you wanted to find it was always an aspiration i always felt that i mean there's lots of people doing it so you know and and i always find it really interesting and quite funny when people say you know our audience as though they own them you know mm. and they you know they once once you've got them on you've got their email and therefore you can do anything you like with them you know which is obviously nonsense so you have to keep turning up you have to keep providing something people are interested in there is a question for us as we evolve, and the network is quite substantial now, as you say, is, well, what are we actually? Are we just doing podcasts or are we, you know, what's the community angle to this? And I get, as you will, a lot of people 
with ideas. You know, once you've built something like this, you, you're not short of advice from people. And a lot of them say, oh, you should go on Discord or you should go on this or you should do, you know, have a community on that. And all of which is perfect. You know, you should monetize this community more more aggressively. And I always think, yeah, I can sort of, you know, I get what you mean, but actually, if I'm on the other side of this, I don't want to be monetized. The whole point, <laughs> the whole point of this is, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to be flogged to, or, you know, it's like, there's always people where they move jobs and you get the call and they say, look, Richard, I'd love you, you know, I'd love to introduce you to, um, I, you know, and uh, oh, really, you know, doing this again, <laughs> you know, I've got, I'm not going to buy anything, you know, but he just wants, it's just a sort of new, new biz trick. And I think it's the problem with communities in a business setting and it's the LinkedIn problem. It'd be, it just gets transactional very quickly and people just get tired of getting sold to, particularly if you've got a senior job, you just haven't got the time to do mm. it. Now, I'm sure there are really smart ways of navigating these waters to, to try and make that less tiresome. I just haven't found them. And I like, you know, we use WhatsApp a lot and we've got a group of, you know, essentially what uh, our guests of the podcast. So it's, it's a significant number and they are, they're people who run sport, you know, and they're big, mm. big hitters. And I don't want to start going to them and say, I don't want to go to Mark Bullingham, the FA, or, you know, to say, oh, you know, I'd love to introduce you to a new, you know, you're not sure, you're short, Mark, your your life, it would, would really benefit from being introduced to someone selling digital transformation services, you know, you think, mm. well, yeah, I'm not sure that's what he wants. And I don't think I want to be the guy doing it. But it's quite a, that's, you get a lot of that. And you get a lot of people saying, well, you know, if you give us access to your network, we can do this, that and the other. I just don't find it interesting. But there is something, the value is there. I always think that there's quite a lot of the value, probably most of the value is in the signal that the, the group exists and there's a network and you're somewhere near the center of it, which is a, you know, a nice message to, to put out. But actually sort of turning that into, uh, into money directly, I've always shied away from, to be honest. Does that mean there's a constant internal battle you have to have between because you there is this opportunity there and you've set up this project as a as a B2B tool as a something to make money to be a commercial product and you're right there's a community there that could be monetized but I guess if you take that step and you over monetize it if you do start selling to these individuals who don't want to be sold to then that then detracts from what you're offering so there there is a really careful balancing act to be considered there Yeah there is there is. And I think it's it's something that I'm very conscious of. Me and Sean have these <laughs> debates quite regularly. He's he's more sort of uh, bullish about this than I am. You know, I'm I am a bit I've got that sort of journalism, the sort of arrogance or the or the sensitivity to that question. He's coming. He used to be a publisher of magazines. So he's, mm. he was always on the other side of the thing. So it's quite a good casting from that point of view. We've got, you know, as a yin and yang going on there. But I think that we are very sensitive to it. And I just think we always come back to well, is this something that we would actually want to listen to or be a part of is this a is this a night i want to spend away from my family is it something i want to give a bit of attention to and if it isn't then i'm always a bit sheepish i always think well there's enough shit out there you might as well make something decent if you've got the mm. the opportunity and as soon as you do start overstepping it's um noticeable because you know you, you, people will just give you the feedback and they don't mind they they the question you always get is, oh, I really like the podcast. How do you make a living? You know, so that's always the question. And people always say, because podcasts are still, as we said, you know, they're somewhere in a development cycle, but, you know, they are still at the relatively early stages. So people haven't quite clicked on to the commercial model 
of them, but there is money to be made there. And people, the audience don't mind you making it because they like the idea of, you know, they're getting it for free. And there is a, I've always shied away from paying, you know, directly charging for stuff other than events. People, you know, that that's a slightly different marketplace, but you've got a whole load of the audience who say, well, okay, yeah, of course I'll listen to an ad at the beginning of a podcast, or of, of course I'll read the newsletter and it's got a promotional link to it. All of that is fine in this marketplace because that's what it is. You know, it's a commercial mm. market. It's the payoff, isn't it, between information, getting something back and being sold to. It's giving a, the keys to the safe almost, I guess. And I, I mean, even this podcast itself, this is a podcast where I like to talk about audio and talk about sound and talk about what's going on in that part of the world. But at the same time, I want people to come to VoiceWorks and explore what we do and look at the facilities we offer. It's, it's kind of, mm. I guess, by the same token, it kind of does the same thing. And most of the transactions we have and most of the content we consume has that balance in some way, be it watching Netflix or watching TV with advertisers. It, there's always that balance somewhere. Talk to me about the audience that you've created for Unofficial Partner then. How did you go about growing that in the early days? Because I think one of the frustrations that holds people back from entering this space is podcasts are notoriously difficult to build an audience for. It takes time and it takes patience. So was it just patience or no organic growth for you or were there levers that you pulled in those early days? Um, it's, it's been all organic. There was a sort of a latent audience for the stuff that I do under the banner of Unofficial Partner. I used to run a blog called unofficial partner so there were there, there was a small audience of people who knew who i was and had read my stuff in you know in the sport business media mm. over the years and twitter and linkedin were the basically the two promotional and, and remain the best two in, from out from our point of view so we've we've we grew it and it as i said at the beginning it takes a while for the thing to grow but it's not a sharp rise it's a sort of that you can see it increasing week by week and a regular uptick of people who are joining. And that just is, is you know, it's taken, we're now, I think we've done 240 podcasts. So we're, and we've been doing it nearly three years. So people just need to know that you're going to be there next week and you're there and you're turning up. We do two podcasts a week. We do a newsletter on a Thursday. So there is a habit sort of building element to podcasts, I think. And I find this in my own behaviors in terms of well I like you know there are there are voices I trust I trust these people not to waste my time for half an hour or an hour and also I trust that they're going to be there when I go looking for them if they're not mm. you know it's going to take a while for me to come back to them and I think the you know the the sort of just the regularity you do have to be a bit of a gobshite on Twitter <laughs> you have to just keep sort of reminding people that new stuff is coming out all the time and Substack. So we use Substack as the uh, newsletter medium. We've got our own database that is derived from the website. But Substack and obviously the podcast data is in the hands of our friends at Apple and Spotify on the whole. So we are then building a bridge. We use Substack and the newsletter to build a bridge to put some real faces and names on the people that we know are listening, but we just mm. can't get to them because Apple have got the data. So it's the, you know, that first party data challenge. And you can spend a great deal of time getting an obvious answer because we sort of know who the people are because they're the people who are in the sports industry. It's relatively easy to, to work out who they are. And that takes a lot of work. Sean does a lot of that 
work and he's really good at the sort of you know he's a monster on LinkedIn and on databases and we build just the different sectors and the different needs of the audience so coming back to why we do so many different types of podcasts is that there are lots of different types of people in the industry so you've got people who might work on the rights holder side so they're on the on the sales side so the FA is selling football in you know or or the NBA or the or cricket or rugby whatever it is you've got people working on the sports side and you've got the agencies who then are wrapped around that sector and then you've got the other um, bit of it on the other side of the table, which is on the buy side, which is the brands who are sponsoring it. You've got media businesses, you've got streaming businesses, you've got Amazons of this world and Googles who are now entering sport, Facebook. And you then got a whole load of, again, professional services companies of which sport is a small but very uh, high profile element of their business. So banks and consultancies and all of that. So it's a bit, it's a mixed picture and quite often... Those people want the same thing, but sometimes they want to go into detail in into particular subject areas. And that's that's my job in terms of trying to work out keeping your ear open in terms of new things. I mean, don't get me started on NFTs and Web3 and <laughs> blockchain and all of that. So that's been the company is, is emerging as the conversation of the last sort of few months. And uh, we obviously cover that. And, and that's something that we, we sense a market for and we'll bring products to market that you know, either podcasts or series or events that mm. meet that need. So that's just basic marketing. So beneath the bonnet, we're we're sort of looking at, you've got the big number of people who are listening, you know, on a regular basis. And then you've got people on the newsletter, which is a slightly smaller number. And then you've got people on your sort of, you know, on the social sort of channels. And again, it's just being, it's being smart that, to, to try and manage that information and, and use that information and basically service those people with what you think they want. It's interesting. So I was going to ask you next whether you knew who your typical listener was. And it sounds like you do to the nth degree. There's layers and layers and layers of data there, which must make it almost more difficult to target your content because you've got these different subsections, be it heads or groups of groups of organizations, or be it people who just want to get an insight into the industry. There's a lot of different groups going on there. Do you notice any trends? For example... Do people tend to respond to you and Sean as individuals more than they do a brand? And I'm thinking about this from the point of view of big brands who want to enter the space. And it's very difficult to build a relationship as a brand, I think. Like if you're a Pepsi or a, I don't know, Ikea or whoever it is, it's mm. difficult to build a relationship with your audience. Whereas I suppose, as in, and I look at that from unofficial partner as the brand here, whereas if it's yourselves, if it's an individual with a personality like you and Sean, does that become an easier way to open up that communication? Yeah, no, it's a very good question because I think it is easier. And I think the, re, the, you know, the rise of that sort of creator on YouTube and we're seeing it everywhere, aren't we? In every sector that actually individuals do punch through the media in a way that corporate sort of entities and brands can struggle to do that. And there's a couple of bits in that is, is, is the, the balance between the individual, you've got a point of view. And so that's easier to, to put across as an individual. And then you've also got, if you are, as you say, a Pepsi or a, a big sort of corporate entity, what are you really <laughs> you know mm -hmm. it's quite that's quite difficult because it gets to some fairly fundamental brand strategy really and it's going to be quite difficult they can all play in this world and it's the branded content question about well why hasn't branded 
content? Why isn't sort of Netflix full of branded documentaries? It's because people don't really trust them to not be biased or to not come with their own obvious corporate agenda. It's quite difficult. I mean, I, you know, worked with um, quite a few brands when I was at Havas and it was, it's just quite difficult for them to, to go beyond what is a sponsorship relationship. So in sport, you know, it's, we'll sponsor this event, this team, this athlete. But if we then start to make things ourselves, people start to say, well, why, you know, why do I need that in my life? I'd hmm. much prefer a, an individual to do it. So it's, I think it's a sort of microcosm of that, that broader question. It's quite, it's quite difficult. And the other bit, when you get to, when you're looking at something like a sort of agency market or, or it, the margins and the, the differentiation between products is very, very slight and everyone knows that. So what we're seeing and the sort of is, is the dreaded term thought leadership is a, a way of demonstrating a point of difference. And you can do that if you use your sort of people within your organization and you almost create stars of them. Now, the danger of that is that they're a flight risk and you invest a lot of time and they go and the brand goes with them. But that's mm. always going to be the, the challenge. So it's a, it is a difficult one. And I can't think of many companies and this is this is a you've got to be careful with the delusion of the marketing industry here in terms of falling in love with its own ideas is that people i always shy away from people who talk about you know the love for my brand and you know my my customers love my brand it very rarely is that you know and i think that's research bears that out is that you've got to be careful with things like brand loyalty and if you then stretch that into an entertainment or into a a, a media offering i think you might come unstuck relatively sharpish with all that stuff in mind what would your recommendations be to someone who wanted to use podcasting as part of their b2b marketing strategy what would you say they need to keep in mind when they're establishing what they sound like what they do how they deliver that content i'd say don't bother to get us to do it it's like a, you know it's really hard really hard work and just go and go back and do your day job no um you know people ba- people bang on about the nhs and you know what hard work it is but you know you try podcasting for <laughs> that's um, the coal face that's the graft <laughs> yeah yeah the i would say there is a whole right i think themes are useful so when you start to say to people right what is it that you want to actually communicate why are you doing this you fundamentally before you get to podcasts what is it that you are trying to do here Mm. and quite often they don't want to have that conversation because that conversation has been had elsewhere but they just want to do a podcast but it's quite i think it's important to try and just drill down to what is the objective here what are you trying to make happen and then i'm as a bigger advocate of podcasts as you like but if they don't answer that question you always know it's going to be quite tricky to to have a successful relationship so it might be that a company wants to develop a it's part of a new tone of voice or they're changing they're they're looking at a newer younger audience demographic for example it's a classic sort of marketing challenge Mm -hmm. and where podcasts fall into that and it's the same question of well you know where is where are your customers and do they want you in the spaces that you you think they do? You know, it's the same as the TikTok question. You know, do I want Adidas to appear in my TikTok feed? Well, you know, if they're delivering something interesting, possibly. Do I want Heinz to deliver a podcast because I listen to podcasts and they want to be in that space? Chances of Heinz making something that I'd be interested in listening to for 45 minutes, I think, are reasonably remote. 
unless it's just a purely they're sponsoring something I really enjoy. So yeah. again, where they tip over from the editorial into the editorial, into the actually the, the content, and rather than just paying for it, and I will then give them credit for paying and it's the old advertising thing, you know, I, I will reward them with something down the line. But I just worry about that when they start to say, right, okay, we need a branded podcast, which I think is a sort of might be one of the worst phrases in the human language. Richard, fascinating to chat to you. Unofficial partner podcast is a great listen, whether you're into the business of sport or as you highlighted earlier the different areas that kind of feed into it be it marketing or sales or all the different things you cover it's a fascinating listen so congratulations on that and thank you for sharing some insight around it on today's sound business podcast not at all cheers jim that is it for this episode of voice work sound business thank you very much for listening if you're interested in audio, podcasting, sound, then you can subscribe to this podcast because there's plenty more to come from some real leaders in the industry. So click subscribe or follow now wherever you are listening and we'll get you the next episode as soon as it's ready. You can find more from me and the VoiceWorks team via the VoiceWorks website, voiceworks.ai, and you can reach out to me on Twitter as well. If you've got an idea for a sound business, maybe you think you make a brilliant guest, get in touch. Mr. Underscore Jim Bob. That's how you can find me on Twitter. And I'll see you for the next sound business.